Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode number 253 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Ring Magazine, ringtv.com, and of course, the Ring Digital YouTube channel where you guys are watching me live right now. So uh, some of you might be listening live on Spreaker too. That's good to go. Uh, but for those of you who are watching live on YouTube, you'll notice the show looks like it used to look. Last week, we did Zoom. We had this thing going with Zoom. You guys saw my interview with Raiz Alim, which was a lot of fun. But um, unfortunately, Zoom did not have some of the capabilities and functionality that I need to do for the show. Because while we got video up and we were able to bring Raiz Alim on video-wise, it shut down the YouTube live chat, which sucked. And then it uh, shut down the phone lines, which sucked. So I've been on the phone with Zoom all week. Literally, was just on the phone with them up to about 40 minutes ago. And they just do not have the functionality I need. So I've been bitching with them to get a refund of all the money I spent. They refunded about 80% of it. So I was they only wanted to give me like 50%. Had to argue to get that 80%. They were not going to give me 100%. Either way, we are going to have to go a different route. So the show is back to the format you guys know, where you can call in. Phone lines are open. For those of you watching live on YouTube, the numbers are right behind me right here. All right. Uh, for those of you listening live on Spreaker, the numbers are toll-free in the United States, 213-267-7787. And then over in the UK, 2081 I don't know the cadence of the UK numbers. I don't know <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying it right or not, but those are the numbers to dial, okay? Uh, so it's toll-free in the UK as well if you use that number. So uh, you guys can call in and you could do the live YouTube chat. So I just want to get this housekeeping stuff out of the way, all right? We are working on the video stuff. We are going to go a different route. We um, ordered some new software and some new hardware over the weekend that is coming through now. It's on the way to us and over the next few weeks we're going to do testing with that and make sure but we did some research talk with a few people i want to thank eric lorta over at uh, ringside reporter podcast i talked uh, with him on the phone saturday uh, about some of the stuff he uses we're going to do uh, kind of what they do but make a couple of kind of you know tweaks to it but i think we're going to be good to go once we get this new stuff it will be down. It will be coming down the line, guys. Okay, but what's going to be awesome with the show is that we're going to have guests on, and you'll be able to see them rather than just hearing them and staring at me for an hour. You'll be able to see those guys. I had so much fun talking with Raiz that way because it, it's just more uh, personable, and I, I could. I felt like I was speaking with him a little bit more. It wasn't just a phone call. And I think those of you, uh, several of you, actually DM me throughout the week saying, "Man, I really enjoyed that. Please do more of those." So I promise you, they're on the way. And we've got some guests lined up. I've had certain guests lined up for like two months now. But I just want to wait till I get the video stuff because, um, you know, I, I just think it'll be more fun for to do an interview that you guys are going to listen to for 20, 30 minutes to be able to see the guy and, and just, I don't know, there's that human element. You know, I think we've lost so much of that. Everybody wearing masks, you don't see half of people's faces, you know, and I think during a conversation, especially if it's going to be 20, 30 minutes rather than just a, a phone call that's three or five minutes when you guys call in. If someone's talking, you know, and I'm having a 30-minute conversation with them, seeing their face just makes it so much better, at least for me. I, I'm a visual person. So, um, and I'm also like a mouth reader. I've noticed, am I the only, am I crazy or or some of you, do you guys feel the same way? Uh, 
when I, talking to people now and they're wearing a mask, I feel like I don't hear them as well. I feel like I'm always saying, huh, what? Could you say that again? Uh, training with my coaches at the boxing gym and just working mitts, and they'll be telling me one, two, one, two, three, slip two. And I'm like, what? what? <laughs> I, I can't always hear them because I'm used to seeing people's mouths when, when I talk. That's just, I'm a visual person. Anyway, okay, so want to get that housekeeping stuff out of the way. Also, wanted to show you guys something really, really cool. I uh, got some stuff in the mail from my man, Chris Smart. Chris Small. Chris Small Art on uh, Twitter. I'll, I'll tell you guys his Twitter profile in a second. But check out, these are prints of pencil sketches that he did. Check this stuff out, man. Chris Small Art. Uh, of course, I'm partial to uh, Thomas the Hitman Hearns being a Detroit guy myself. But look at this, man. This kid's got crazy, crazy talent. These are absolutely awesome. Of course, the Gotti Ward. Most of what he does is black and white, but this Gotti Ward one is in color. I think it's amazing. He's got the Fab Four here, the real Fab Four, right? These these guys are the real Fab Four, or Four Kings. A lot of people call them the Four Kings. But And then we got uh, Tyson right here, too. This is awesome, man. So I want to give you guys his Twitter so you could check him out and make sure uh, you could check out his Twitter. He posts stuff there, but then he's also got a site you could check out. The link to all that stuff is on his Twitter. So it's at Chris Small Art. Chris is spelled C-H-R-I-S and then small with two L's and then art. Chris Small Art. He's over in uh, England. You guys, make sure that you check him out for real. His stuff is awesome. Thank you so much, Chris, for sending me those prints, man. Those are freaking great. I got to figure out, there's definitely some of those I'm going to frame and just put up because I have an office too. But there's definitely some of them I'm going to put here on my backdrop, dude. Those are freaking great, man. So wanted to say thank you very much, Chris. And also, I know this is a boxing podcast, but I just have to mention this. Congratulations to Tampa Bay and the Buccaneers on winning the Super Bowl. And I know it's become this really divisive thing for some reason to talk about football. We can't just enjoy this. But I just got to say, man, Tom Brady, regardless of how you feel about him, he's become a really divisive guy. Somehow he's become political, even though he's never talked about politics, never interjected politics into football at all. It's the media interjecting politics onto him. But 43 years old, he's going to be 44 this year. He took a losing team all the way to the Super Bowl from the wild card, had to go on the road and beat Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, and Patrick Mahomes, and wins the MVP of the Super Bowl, wins the Super Bowl at 43 years old. Again, he's going to be 44 this year. I'm going to be 42 this summer, so maybe that's why it just struck a chord with me. It just makes me feel inspired because there's certain goals I have. There's certain athletic competitions I have planned for later this year. Wink, wink. I can't talk about quite yet, but as long as COVID doesn't ruin them like they did last year, I'll be able to talk about them. I think some of them are going to have you guys pretty excited. Um, so, yeah, it just, it's just an inspirational, man. And it just I'm happy for the people of Tampa Bay. That's pretty freaking awesome. All right. Sad news. Very, very sad news. Leon Spinks died of uh, cancer this weekend at 67 years old. He had suffered from cancer and some other health issues, some of them related directly to boxing, for years. And he had struggled outside the ring for, for a long time. Uh, born in St. Louis to a boxing family. I mean, I could talk about the Spinks family all day when it comes to boxing. And really, um, one of the great Midwestern fighters. We have so many great, 
all-time great level Midwestern fighters in this sport and Hall of Fame Mid- Midwestern fighters. And uh, Leon was certainly uh, one of them. And um, his family members as well, several of them, some of them all-time greats, his brother. But um, I, I feel like we don't get the Midwestern fighters as much anymore. I think there's starting to be a little comeback with the Midwestern fighters. We talked to Raiz Alim last week. But St. Louis, a city that uh, really does have a boxing tradition if you look back at the history of it. But in recent times, you don't really think St. Louis in boxing, right? The last guy I guess you think of is Devon Alexander. But uh, the Spinks family out of St. Louis, uh, Leon won the 1976 Olympic gold medal. I think all things considered, probably the best Olympic t- class for the United States ever. Um, I know 84 gets a lot of love, but there were several countries that were banned from those, or not banned, but I think they refused to participate, whatever it was, in those Olympics. 76 was stacked, man. Uh, 76 might have been the best team ever. Olympic gold in 76 goes on to win the legitimate heavyweight championship. And also, a lot of people don't know this, he served the United States Marine Corps in the mid-70s for, I think, three or four years in the mid-70s. And being a former Marine myself, um, I I just any of my brothers out there that were in the Corps, uh, I'm always going to support. So so a very, very sad loss. Uh, It wasn't an unexpected passing. You know, like I said, he had been sick for a while. So it wasn't, it's not quite a shocking thing, but it's sad nonetheless. So, so our thoughts are with the Spinks family. And of course, with the whole boxing uh, brotherhood this week, Uh, that's a sad death. Okay, let's get right into the, well, you know what, before I get into this Mark Breland thing, one quick little tidbit, I'm going to tease you guys a little bit. Uh, Caleb Plant versus Caleb Truax, the battle of Caleb's, which sounds like a BMX competition or something, right? Like a tennis match. Um, It peaked at over 2 million viewers. So I feel like I need to mention that because that's good viewership. And, and of course, that was last Saturday when there was no football on. So there wasn't a lot of sports competition on. But all things considered, man, that's a very, very good rating. That's the good news. It is the highest or was the highest rated PBC on Fox show since Charlo's rematch with Harrison back in uh, December of 2019. So the best rating for PBC post-pandemic, Right. That's all good news. However, wasn't a very good fight, wasn't a very good card. So whenever you do a big rating like that, and it's a showcase type of fight, now, it's one thing if it's a showcase and Plant would have destroyed Truax and knocked him out in three or four rounds or something. That's a statement. Yeah, it's a one-sided fight. It's a showcase, but there's a statement. You didn't really get that statement performance from Caleb Plant And um, there was an interesting, somewhat interesting heavyweight fight on the undercard, but it wasn't that great of a fight. One of the fighters that participated in it looked like he, you know, just walked off from a cannoli eating competition. So it wasn't the best show to have that many people watching. You know what I'm saying? And that's just, it's just unfortunate, but that's the way it goes in boxing. I mean, we've got some great cards coming up, like uh, the the Chocolatito uh, rematch with Estrada. That's not going to have too many people watching it live on American national TV because that's on the zone. So it's going to have a smaller limited audience. It'll have a bigger audience globally, but here in the United States, it'll have a a smaller audience and and that's going to be such a, such a great fight, but that's just the way these things work. Okay. Let's get to what everybody wants to talk about. And I know you guys might have phone calls about this, man. I'm just looking at my hair here in the, uh, 
I'm checking it out in the monitor. I need a freaking haircut. It's getting kind of long, man. Believe it or not, guys, my hair is actually wavy. It's not straight. I you know, put product in it to keep it kind of straight and keep it down. But actually, it poofs up like an afro if I grow it out long. And it's, you can see it's starting to happen a little bit here. <laughs> it's starting to poof a little bit. I think I need to get a haircut this week. Okay. Mark Breland was on some podcast, I think over in the UK. And I, t- t- in fairness, I haven't heard the podcast because um, I've never – and this is no, no disrespect. I've just never heard of the podcast before. And I haven't listened to it yet. So um, I, I want to, you know, full disclosure, all I've done is read posts about it and, and you know, took uh, quotes from it and everything else. And then I saw where Deontay Wilder actually had one that um, he responded on a different podcast. But I haven't heard either one of those. But the Mark Breland thing, of course – caused a big ruckus on boxing Twitter, right? In boxing YouTube, where everything has to be outrageous and it's one side versus another side. Everything is two-sided, everything. It's us versus them. It's up versus down, left versus right. Nothing can be nuanced and layered. It all has to be us versus them all the time. And of course, this Mark Breland thing, was just more of that. So let me read you guys a few quotes. These are direct quotes from Mark Breland. And for the record, these are responses to questions he was asked. It's not as if he just went on attack and made a bunch of mean tweets or just made these statements. Matter of fact, he was being asked these questions in, I believe, the first interview he has done since, I think, uh, well, at least since he's, he was fired by Wilder, but possibly since the fight, the rematch between Wilder and Fury. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty damn sure this is the first interview he has done since being fired by Wilder, okay? These are direct quotes. Um, This is referring to Wilder. His career is done now. He's got a lot of power and that's all. I wish him well and that's it. Only got his power and we'll see how far that takes him. That's all I'm going to say. You say he had some good wins? Luis Ortiz was a good win. Just that fight. That was it. He doesn't jump rope. He doesn't hit the speed bag, and he doesn't hit the heavy bag. Spike the water? If you're looking at the tapes or whatever, you don't even see the water in my hand. Someone else is giving him the water. JD's was standing right there when the man was getting his hands wrapped. Jay's right there when he's getting his hands wrapped, and he didn't say nothing. Now, that's just a few quotes, but I thought all those were pretty damn interesting. And again, these were responses to questions he was asked, okay? So, of course, the Wilder sycophants, the Wilder parishioners, as I'm calling them now, because Wilder has become a church. It's Wilder is a god, and being a Wilder fan is being part of a church now. It's almost a cult-like thing. So these people are parishioners of Wilder. And let, let me, I need to preface because this is 2021 and people are out there with agendas looking for any soundbite of mine that they could take and misrepresent to attack me. There's a few of these people out there and they've gotten really smart because they block me so I can't see it. And then they do this stuff because they're bitches. I need to preface. The majority of Deontay Wilder fans are not like this. The majority of Deontay Wilder fans are just boxing fans. And the guy has made for some exciting fights. He does have knockout power, dynamite right hand. So he's, you know, most of his fans are just fight fans. They have no horse in this race. They're not trying to be divisive and extreme and crazy. But there is a segment of his fans 
that are lunatics. And these guys are not only on YouTube, they're on Instagram, Twitter, all of it. And they have indoctrinated a subset of young kids. Because I got to tell you, I've been to several boxing gyms now. I could count three different boxing gyms I've been to in different cities where I've been visiting friends of mine, uh, fighters, trainers that I know when I'm in town in different cities, working, whatever. And they'll be like, Mike, come into my gym, work out, train. And I've bumped into several kids and they've recognized me and we've started talking and they've said, hey, man, uh, what do you think about this Wilder Fury thing? And I tell them and they're like, no, that ain't true, man. The evidence is out there. Fury, you know, the spiked water, the loaded gloves. And they, they really believe this shit. And I'm talking kids that are 16, 17 years old. These are young kids. They have been indoctrinated into this belief system by some of these people on YouTube. That's very dangerous. And ultimately, it's negative for the sport of boxing because the, some of the, and it's not just these YouTube channels. There are some legitimate uh, people out there with ties to real media. And not just media, but I would say um, the, the industry of boxing, whether it be former fighters, promoters, network people, loosely affiliated through the media, that tweet this shit, that talk about it like it's fact. It, they're basically flat earthers with this Wilder and Fury thing. And you're not building boxing fans with this stuff. You're building conspiracy theory extremist whack jobs who are going to come into the sport if they keep watching it after Deontay retires with a loaded uh, lens and they're going to see everything through this, through this, you know, um, I don't know, tainted lens and everything is going to seem corrupt and there's conspiracy everywhere, man. Those ain't the kind of fans I want. I want fans of the sport that just love the damn sport and love all fighters. You know, of course you might pr- prefer a certain style or a certain, uh, you know, if you're from the UK, you might love UK fighters more than other fighters. Or, or if you come from Mexico, you might root for Mexican fighters over other fighters. Like I get that stuff. But uh, some of the stuff coming out of th- this corner with this Wilder Fury thing is just freaking scary, man. And it's, it, it's not only, it's not limited to some of the Deontay Wilder crazies. There are Manny Pacquiao whack jobs who still message me because I say all the time, Mayweather beat him. I don't give a shit how much you slow down the videos and make the punches look, you know, I don't know, 10 frames a second and all this, and you change the rules. Mayweather beat Pacquiao. I still get people messaging me from the Philippines saying all kinds of insane shit. I still get... Alexander Povetkin fans giving me shit. Tyson Fury fans giving me shit because of the way I've reported honestly about their past with performance-enhancing drugs. It's all over the place, okay? It's not a one-sided thing, but I've never seen something like this with Deontay Wilder ever in the sport in my time covering it. I just haven't, guys. This is unprecedented. So, for people out there giving Mark Breland shit, and saying that he was uh, classless and he went too far because he said he said some other things like he could beat most of Deontay Wilder's opponents, this, that, the other. Honestly, that was tongue in cheek. Obviously, he didn't mean that as a matter of fact. Now, maybe Mark Breland probably could at this point in his life. What is he in his 60s? He probably still could probably beat some of Deontay's opponents. I would beat some of Wilder's opponents. I'll say that with a straight face. I'm talking about his first 10 or so opponents, guys. I'm not talking about the ranked fighters, but it is what it is, right? It's, it's his first 20 or so fights in, Wilder's resume looked like Trevor Bryan's. 
That's the truth. That's the truth, okay? That's what we were dealing with at that point. Now, since then, Wilder has stepped up, and he's fought Luis Ortiz and Tyson Fury and everything else. But when Mark Breland made those sorts of comments, I I think that he was half-joking, a little tongue-in-cheek. And let me say this. It's been a year, guys. That fight was a year ago. And for the last year, Wilder has been saying all sorts of shit. For for a while, Wilder kind of, he was quiet. He didn't say much. It was just the YouTube guys and some of his fans saying, you know, all the Glovegate stuff and the spiked water. But then Deontay Wilder put out a video on his own social media talking about egg weights. Uh, he talked about spiked water on different interviews. Uh, he talked about what the crab in a bucket referee is what he called Kenny Bayless, who went out of his way to, I thought, favor Wilder in that fight. Um, and he's has a track record of doing that with house fighters in Vegas. Uh, I just think that Wilder has gone over the line multiple times for a year now. He fired Breland and just insulted a guy, uh, attacked his character, had people, his sycophants, attacking Breland. Whether Wilder meant to do that, he enabled it. He promoted it by piling on, by doubling down on his conspiracy theories. He hasn't once owned the loss, not once since fight night, since right there in the ring, minutes after the fight, has Wilder simply said, Fury was the better man that night. I need to do better next time. I did not fight my best fight. I could do better. I'll learn from this. I'll be back stronger. All the types of things that you hear from fighters all the time when they lose. He hasn't said that. He's just doubled down and beat the shit out of Mark Breland, Kenny Bayless, Tyson Fury, and everybody else. He's even uh, somehow blamed the Durrells for this loss, the Durrell brothers. And the list goes on, okay? So for Mark Breland to not say anything for a whole year, I think shows a lot of tact in class. And those are two things that Mark Breland is known for. He's known as a good guy in this sport. He has a sterling reputation. He's not known as a bad guy in a sport full of bad guys. We just saw a documentary from BBC about a week ago talking about Daniel uh, Kinahan and, and that, that clan, right? There's some bad actors in this sport. I don't think that's a hot take for me to say that. Mark Breland is not known as one of them. He is known as one of the good guys in the sport. Now, if he was going to talk about Deontay Wilder, I don't know if he picked the right way to do it. I wouldn't have done it this way if I were advising him. I'd have him go on a more mainstream source or uh, maybe do something a little more planned out to where he could have his thoughts about him and maybe filter it a few times before speaking. It seemed like he was speaking off the cuff on this one particular um, Jay Prince. I saw Yak Houster in the chat says Jay Prince. Exactly. I mean, we can keep on. Don King killed people. And he just put out a card a couple weeks ago, guys. He literally murdered people. Okay. So there are bad actors in this sport. Mark Breland, not one of them. But I digress. This probably isn't the way I would have went about it. This isn't the way I would have advised him to go about it, to just go on a podcast and just you know randomly answer questions about Deontay Wilder. I would have done it a little more planned out, a little more thoroughly, but this is the way he chose to do it. And he's kind of a quiet, soft-spoken guy. And to hear him speak this way, <clears throat> maybe it was surprising to some people, but I don't think he 
stepped over the line one bit. I really, truly don't. And for those of you who are shocked and appalled and you can't believe this, where the fuck were you in 2020? This is like not not to get not, I'm not going to go down a political rabbit hole here, but this is like some of you guys who were shocked at the riots at the Capitol, which I totally think those people were idiots and should all be arrested. But if you were shocked at that, where the hell were you in 2020? There were billions of dollars in damage. Thousands of people assaulted. Dozens of people were murdered and lost their lives as a result of the riots that took place for about four or five months last year. If that didn't shock and appall you, you can't be shocked and appalled at what happened at the Capitol. And I'm not trying to say they're the exact same thing. They're not. But one thing, they're related, okay? One thing is like the other. And it's similar here with if you're so angry at Breland, For saying what he said, and again, these were questions he was being asked, okay? He was being provoked to give responses here. It's not as if he posted this on Instagram or some shit like Wilder did, okay? Uh, If you're upset about this, where the hell were you throughout all of 2020 when Wilder is basically being the flat earth guy of boxing? Like, be consistent, people. Please, show a little bit of consistency with this stuff, all right? And hopefully, you know, I didn't lose some of you guys with the political reference, but I'm I'm an independent. Seriously, I'm a registered independent and I'm a a classical liberal, which doesn't exist anymore in the United States, at least not in media. And I just see extremes on both sides and people can't see, they can't see the complexity that we're all mixed up. We're all hypocrites. We all say things we shouldn't say sometimes. We all make mistakes. And if people would just shut up a little bit and stop screaming at everybody and open up and listen a little bit more. I don't know. I think we get a lot further, but I lost 20 followers this weekend because I po- I changed my name to Michael, uh, quote unquote, Tom Brady Montero. 20 of you unfollowed me because you hate Tom Brady that much that you unfollowed me on Twitter because I changed my name to Tom Brady. That's crazy. Anywho. Oh, by the way, I should have mentioned this uh, last news item here. Hall of Fame induction weekend, International Boxing Hall of Fame has been postponed to 2020. So it is going to be a three-year induction ceremony. Uh, I just got this in the mail today for those guys. So I think that's a trip that I'm probably going to go up there for. I think that by then, um, COVID should be hopefully mostly a thing of the past, at least the hysteria over it. And uh, going up to New York in the summer sounds pretty damn fun. If any of you guys plan on going to this, let me know. We'll grab a beer. Of course, we've got about 15 months to plan. So anyway, just wanted to put that out there. Okay, let's see. Uh, Couster says, Francus. <laughs> I love it. You have to be an ONA fan to know what he's talking about. Anybody else out there, an old school Opie and Anthony fan? I think that was the best radio show ever. It destroyed Howard Stern. Howard, at his at his best, was pretty awesome, okay? But Opie and Anthony, at their best, when they had Patrice O'Neill in there, um, they had a host of guys in there. Of course, Jim Norton. It was just awesome. It was the best show ever. And my favorite character was Bobo. Fucking love Bobo clips. Oh, my God, that guy is so funny. I've actually chatted with Bobo several times over Twitter. And... Um, the next time he's down here, he loves baseball. If his Mets play the Braves down here, I'm going to go up to the stadium and have a beer with him. 
Justin in the chat says, RIP Patrice. Hell yeah, man. Patrice O'Neill. God, could we use him in 2021? I wonder what he'd think about all the shit that's been going on right now. Oh, man. Chad Fletcher in the chat asks, uh, how about Clarissa Shields getting her pay-per-view? Does it tank or does it tank big time? Dude, <laughs> I'm not I'm not voting against or, or betting against her or rooting against her, I should say, but I just can't see how that pay-per-view is going to sell. She's fighting a girl that nobody knows. People don't know if she's in MMA or boxing right now. She's not being clear about what she's doing. She's very divisive. She's very polarizing. She rubs a lot of people in the boxing industry the wrong way and not in a good way necessarily. Uh, Andrew in the chat says 20,000 views. Yeah, pretty much. I think it'll be somewhere around there. Something like that. I think it'll probably do right around what Don King's pay-per-view just did. Um, Maybe 10,000, 20,000, something like that. But look, at the price structure that they have for that, the deal they have worked out, I mean, maybe that's a profitable show. I, I don't know. But I wish the best of luck to them. I really do. I'm not rooting against anybody. But why are you going on pay-per-view, Clarissa? Get over there in MMA, build yourself up, and two, three years down the road, fight Amanda Nunez. You'll probably get your ass beat, but you can build yourself up to perhaps a million-dollar payday in that fight. Just play the heel. Amanda, by, the, by then, Amanda might be old enough, or maybe you got a shot. If you can keep her on her feet, you can knock her. Well, you won't knock her out. You don't even knock boxers out. But still, uh, you'd have a chance. But uh, going this route, I just don't know. I just don't know. All right, guys, there is no fight review. There was nothing going on last week. So we have a good fight preview, though. This Saturday, February 13th, we have three cards uh, of note in London, Matchroom on zone here in the States. Over there, I think this will be on Sky. Josh Warrington fighting Mauricio Lara at uh, featherweight. Now, this would have been for Warrington's IBF featherweight belt. He dumped it. And uh, some people are saying he's ducking Kid Galahad, that rematch. I don't know. I do know this for a fact. And this has been uh, verified by Gary Russell Jr. Eddie Hearn offered Gary Russell Jr. a million dollars flat to go over there to the UK and fight Josh Warrington. Gary Russell Jr. said no. Now, my theory, I don't know this for a fact, but this is my theory, is he's being told by his management, don't take any deals because you're going to fight Gervonta Davis on pay-per-view at some point this year, and you'll get a little bit more than a million bucks. So maybe we could double your money. So just say no to a guaranteed seven-figure payday, which I don't know if Russell's ever made that much. But um, So I do know that Warrington's team has reached out, and he wanted to make the fight with Shukan as well. So uh, let's give him a shot. After I, he obviously Warrington's going to beat Lara. After that, though, he's got to go to one of those top guys. If he doesn't fight a top guy after this, it's going to look like a flat out duck for dumping that belt. The IBF follows their rules. They were either going to strip him for not fighting Kid Galahad, uh, anyways. So I, I get why Warrington dumped it, but just the timing and the optics, not a good look. But all is forgiven if his next fight is against a top featherweight. We shall see. Um, also, Golden Boy Promotions, also on DAZN. DAZN has two cards Saturday. From Indio, California, Joseph Diaz Jr. fighting Shavkat Zon Rakamov for uh, Diaz's IBF 130-pound title. This is a battle of southpaws. You might remember Diaz won the title from Tevin Farmer last 
January? Has that fought since? That was just before the pandemic, hadn't fought after. Um, So this is, what, a 13-month layoff for him, just over a year. It's the longest layoff of his career, though, I believe. And it will be interesting to see how this affects him. I know he's had some changes in camp on his team. He's kind of gone back and forth. There's been some issues there. How will that affect him in this fight? Remains to be seen. Rakhimov was born in Tajikistan, but based out of Russia. He won the Eliminator, the IBF Eliminator, to earn his right for this title shot. In September of 2019, he had no fights at all in 2020. So, expect some ring rust early on in this fight. Also on this card, Patrick Teixeira out of Brazil fighting Brian Carlos Castano out of Argentina. This is for Teixeira's WBO 154-pound title. And, of course, uh, Teixeira beat Carlos Adamas in November 2019 for the title. He also had no fights in 2020. His only loss... So far was that TKO2 loss to Curtis Stevens on a Canelo Khan card. Remember that? I was ringside for that uh, fight between Canelo Alvarez and Amir Khan. Crazy knockout. Remember that? I'll never forget that knockout. But on the undercard, Teixeira lost. He was supposed to beat Curtis Stevens. That was like a step-up fight for him. And he lost. That TKO was like a shocking loss for him. To his credit, he rebuilt. He was kind of seen as an afterthought. He rebuilt. And now he he won that title. Let's see what he could do against Castano, who is a very um, capable fighter. I'll use that word. Just a a good, capable prize fighter. Uh, Although Castano is a few inches shorter and his reach is almost 10 inches shorter. So Teixeira, much bigger guy, much bigger wingspan. Will that be to his advantage in this fight? Or can Castano get under his punches? Because he seems to be the the more slick fighter, the more skillful fighter. Can you get under those punches and do some work on the inside? We shall see. That's, I think that's an interesting fight. I'm actually – this is a decent uh, doubleheader from Golden Boy. Don't sleep on this one. I think you might get some action. Super chat pledge from my man Trent Nonpareil. Trent, good to hear from you, brother. He said, who you got, uh, Giasov or Ergashev? Madrimov fought at 165 through 170 in the amateurs – do you think he'll go high enough in weight to challenge Canelo in the pros? Let's start with Madrimov, because uh, right now, of course, he's at 54. I think he's squeezing down in that 54 division as long as he can. He most certainly will be at 160 before uh, too long, uh, probably by next year, I would think. But as long as he can make 54 comfortably, he's going to work himself into a mandatory position and fight for one of the titles – what would be great is if PBC would you know, unify all those titles and you could get Madrimov going after the legitimate unified champ. I don't know if that's going to happen, though. He could end up, just because of political alliances and stuff, uh, Madrimov could end up going after the Teixeira-Castano winner. You could see that taking place at some point. And, of course, I'd favor Madrimov big in that fight. And then you'd have a situation where you you have this unified 154 champ over at PBC, and everyone's going to want to see him fight Madrimov, and it probably won't happen. So after a year or so of that, I think he'll move up to 160. Could a fight with him and Canelo happen? I just don't know, dude. I, I just don't know. Can, I don't. I used to think Canelo would squeeze back down to 160. Never happening. He's going to be at 168 from here on out. Um, he probably still could make 160, but it would require a, a big sacrifice for him. 
And it's just not a big enough fight for him to do that. Even the third fight with Golovkin, which is big money-wise, he's going to bring Golovkin up for that fight, and he's got the leverage. So um, if that happens, their third fight will be at like 164 or one, maybe at 168. So uh, Madrimov, I just don't know, dude. Unless he's He'd have to go all the way up to 168, which I think he could, but I just don't think Canelo's going to take that kind of challenge. If I'm Madrimov and his people – I'm staying at 54 as long as you can. Uh, chase the top guys. I think he'll win at least one title. Then move up to 160 and challenge there. And he might be able to make 160 comfortably for the remainder of his career. You know, he really, really could. A lot of the reasons why he fought heavier in the amateurs, uh, sometimes it's, you know, the teammates you have, and maybe they're going to compete at a certain weight. You're going to move up, move down, whatever it is, so both of you guys can get in tournaments together. Uh, that sort of thing happens a lot in the amateurs. I've never heard of Madrimov having any trouble, though, making 54. So uh, I, I imagine he's going to be 54 60 for a while. Between uh, Giasov and Ergashev, Flip a coin on that one, dude. Flip a coin, man. Um, maybe right now, maybe I'll edge Ergashev, but I don't know. Maybe I'll edge Ergashev points on that one. Okay, guys, uh, one more. Uh, Timmy Turner in the chat says, I'm looking forward to the Joe Smith Jr. world title fight. Yes, my man, about to talk about that right now. Top rank on ESPN from Las Vegas at the MGM Grand in the bubble. Joe Smith Jr. taking on Maxim Vlasov. And for the record, I tried to get Joe on the show, but we wanted to do video. And with the whole Zoom, it just didn't work out. So um, maybe down the line, we'll get Joe on the show. All right, but we're going to try to have him on here to kind of do like a preview thing, but it just didn't work out. But later on down the line, I promise you guys it'll happen. All right, so um, Joe Smith is a really interesting character. And I think he kind of slides under the radar for some reason with casual fans. Diehard boxing fans, of course, know who he is. He's fought the best guys out there at 175 the last handful of years. Won some, lost some, but been competitive all along. Uh, But he's a great story. Yeah, You guys know about him working construction and all that kind of stuff. He lost his seventh pro fight by TKO4 to a guy that I think now has a losing record. I think the guy now, like, he's only won like 30% of his fights or something, the guy he lost to. So losing, and it was an upset. Smith was supposed to win that fight. But in his seventh pro fight, he loses by TKO4. And he was seen by then as a, like, a, like a suspect, right? He was already under the radar. But after that, he really fell under the radar. And he had to really, really prove himself. And he went on from there. He's 26-2 and two since that TKO4 loss in his seventh pro fight. And he's done most of this work while working a full-time job, kind of like an Andrew Concio kind of guy and like many other fighters we can point to where they're not just working like part-time. They're not just, I don't know, selling cars on the side or selling houses or some shit, working like a hardcore 40, 50 hours a week, manual labor kind of job. This dude's in a union, right? So he's a real dude out there working with his hands and then going to the gym and then competing at the highest level in professional boxing. That's really impressive. And it's just one of those stories like, why isn't this guy more popular? I feel like there are Joe Smith types over in the UFC that have 10 losses and they're household names. But... Joe Smith is better than some of those guys. Like, he's better than a, or Jorge Masvidal or someone like that. 
and he's nowhere big as a name. Why is that? It's just very, very interesting to me. Anyway, uh, the only losses, one was to Sullivan Barrera, of course. He knocked Sullivan Barrera down in the first round. That fight was in L.A. And then in the second round, he broke his jaw. Finishes the damn fight with a busted jaw. But loses. But still, pretty impressive, the balls he showed. And then he got pretty much shut out by Dimitri Bevel. I think that Dimitri Bevel win is aging well for Bevel, but he needs to get in the damn ring and fight somebody. He's, he's the milk carton guy right now. Nobody knows where the hell he is. But losing to Dimitri Bevel in that fashion, there's really no shame in that. Really no shame in that. Smith has wins over Andres Fanfara, who at that time, that was a good win. Uh, Bernard Hopkins, and I know he was well past it, but the way he beat Hopkins literally sent him out of the ring into retirement. That meme you always see now where when dudes get knocked out, they're floating away and shit. Yeah, that was the first time. That was like before the meme. Joe Smith did that to B-Hop. Uh, Jesse Hart, that's a quality win, man. Jesse Hart's a decent, solid prize fighter. And then, of course, Eladir Alvarez, that's a really good win for Joe Smith. So he seems to be peaking. I think he's like 31 years old. And I expect him to perform well in this fight. What we, what we hoped we would see Caleb Plant do against Caleb Truax a week or so ago uh, on PBC on Fox from Los Angeles, that's what I expect Joe Smith to do against Vlasov in Las Vegas this week. Uh, but for some reason, this will fly under the radar. He just does not get the PR, the love, the media hype other fighters tend to get. It's always confused me. Anyway, Vlasov has fought all the way from middleweight all the way up to cruiserweight. He's fought a lot of top guys. He's lost most of the time that he has stepped up, though. And I expect he's going to lose in this fight. But he's always been a durable, tough guy, competing against some of the best cruiserweights in the world at 200 pounds, and then uh, shrunk himself back down to 175. So he is a more than capable fighter. I would say at this point, <clears throat> Vlasov is a better opponent for Smith than Truex was for Plant, right, if we're making that comparison there. But, again, I, 2 million people are not going to tune in to watch this fight. So uh, Smith kind of flies under the radar, but he's one of those blue-collar, lunch-pail, hard-working kind of guys, had a very good 2020. Can that continue in 2021? If he wins this fight, and I suspect he will, I expect him to, to beat Vlasov, what Grandpa Bob over at Top Rank is saying is that we're going to get a unification between Joe Smith and Artur Baturbiev. Now, if that happens, that could be a potential fight of the year, okay? And usually fights of the year, the last however many years, they happen lower down on the weight scale. If you get a fight of the year type of fight at 175, that's going to be awesome. But at the same time, you know, if you would have mentioned that fight two, three years ago, people would have thought, oh, man, this is going to be one-sided. Baturbiev is going to destroy Joe Smith. But Baturbiev has had... Issues outside the ring, he's had injuries. He's been chronically inactive. And again, Smith seems to be kind of surging right now. He's got like a little career surge going on right now. If if Joe Smith blasts through Maxime Vlasov this Saturday and doesn't really get injured, doesn't take too much punishment, and just mows him down, which is possible. I'm not saying it's likely, but it's possible. If he has that sort of performance and then goes into the fight with Baturbiev, let's say this summer, just looking at the inactivity with Baturbiev and everything else, I don't know, guys. That, that's going to be a more competitive fight than people think. 
Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Joe Smith will look bad this Saturday and Vlasov will challenge him and it will be a very, very close fight. And we'll see that Joe Smith has some limitations. And if that's the case, then that that's going to take a little bit of the, the polish off of that unification fight we should get later this year, okay? But if we get a statement performance from Joe Smith, which I think is very, very possible here, that's going to make people eager to see that unification fight. And I think that is going to be a fun one, man, just in terms of styles and where both guys are at in their careers. Super Chat Pledge from J&M. Thank you so much. He asked, does Andre Ward beat Canelo in a comeback? Thanks, Mike. Uh, look, does he beat Canelo Alvarez right now? No, no. At, at this point, man, uh, Canelo Alvarez is at the absolute top of his game. Ward has been out of the ring for several years. I know Ward would be the bigger, naturally stronger guy, but no way in hell he's going to beat a fighter at the level of Canelo Alvarez right now. Uh, that would just be too much for him. Now, prime Andre Ward versus this prime version of Canelo that's a different story. You'd have to favor Ward in that fight because he is the bigger, stronger guy. And some of the nasty, rule-bending kind of stuff he liked to do on the inside, he could do against Canelo. At distance, I actually think Canelo would box Ward's ass off. I really, really do at mid-range. Kovalev was able to outbox him at mid-range. And Canelo has faster hand speed and much better upper body movement than Kovalev. But on the inside, I just think Ward would uh, be too much for him and and probably beat Canelo there. So a lot of it would come down to uh, the the fight location, the ring officials, things like that. But man, at 175, Ward would just be way too big for him, uh, way too much of a challenge. Now, at 168, you take Andre Ward at 168 and you put him against this version of Canelo at 168, that's a damn good fight. Might get ugly at times, but that's a damn good fight. All right, let's jump over to the phones here real quick, guys. Uh, 9.01, you are on the show. Go. Well, how you doing there, Mike? Uh, this is Midwest Sea on there. I just got out of uh, rehab, and I'm feeling oh. kind of, you know, clean. I, I may not be so clean, but I'm feeling kind of sober, if you know what I'm saying. You got the uh, Super Bowl uh, rehab? I feel well, uh, no, not so much. I'm not. Uh, I, I, I can't. I, I tell you, I don't really care for a bunch of guys uh, tossing around the ball or something like that. You know, I can go. You know, I, I, I can go do that in my own backyard. To be honest <laughs> with you, and I, I don't think too much about it. You know, uh, I had a pitch back when I was a kid, and you know, thought I was Jose Cruz or Nolan Ryan. I'm kind of living in Houston around then, but. You know, if it ain't Earl Campbell, you know, it, it, Ooh, it ain't worth watching, to tell you the truth. I feel But, uh, you know, I'm uh, real happy for you talking about the, uh, uh, you know, when you put your name up as Greg Brady and everyone got all bent out of shape. I, I you know, I, I just don't know what people get all up in arms over. It was a, it was a dumb TV show anyway, and I thought uh, Danny <laughs> Partridge was cooler. You know, I but, agree with uh, you. He it, was. I, I <laughs> you know, it, it, it's all good fun. I was a kid when that stuff came out, and you know, I, I, you know, I just kind of identified with, uh, you know, being uh, juvenile, delinquent, and all that. And so back then, we thought redheads were kind of funny. Um, 
I was at the. I heard you talk about the Andres Fonfara and Joe Smith. Joe Smith might have been one of my favorites for a good while. I was actually uh, in the second row at the UIC Pavilion for the uh, Joe Smith Andres Fonfara fight. Well, I you took, are Midwest Ceylon, uh, and that fight was in Chicago in the Midwest, so that makes sense. Yeah, man, oh, what did you sure think was. about that? I uh, had no idea what that was going to happen, and I could barely believe what I was watching. I, I went there to see uh, two of my favorite guys. I went there for Rache Warren and uh, see him fight Juan Carlos Payano in the rematch for the Bantamweight title, and I took two uh, pacifists with me who uh, they'd spent time in war zones and whatnot, but they'd never seen uh, the fights before. And one of them was here all the way from the U.K. So I had uh, two friends of mine in the front row, and uh, I was telling them that uh, the Polish prince was going to fight uh, a guy named Joe Smith Jr., and they thought I was joking. They're like, that's his fake name. I'm like, no, no, for real. He's a construction worker from Long Island. And they thought I was making a joke because uh, there's a guy called the Polish Prince and there's uh, Juan Carlos Payano. You know, he's so badass, he's got three names. <laughs> they, and, then, uh, and, and then the fight started. And Joe Smith wasted this guy, the guy my favorite light heavyweight. And, they, and the British uh, lady turned to me and said, that wasn't supposed to happen now, was it? <laughs> And I, I told her, well, no, no, you're darn tootin' that wasn't supposed to happen. Anyway, uh, he's going to Our, Bri- our British guy's watching. Uh, our British you know. guy's listening. you got to rate Ceylon's British accent there. you got to give me, on, on 1 to 10, how is that British accent? Can you do that again, Ceylon? Uh, let me try it here. i got to think more about St. Leonard by Sea and Hastings. Uh <laughs> Give me a sentence. All right, give me um, oh, give me your Joe Smith versus Maxim Vlasov prediction in a British accent, and go. Oh, he's going to beat the fucking brakes off him, isn't it? It'd be fucking cracking. I uh, hope that was okay, but uh, I'm tr- I'm trying. I know. Dude, I'm that was fucking horrible. Across, oh uh, my god, uh, that was so bad. Yeah. My my British accent's well, bad. You know, but that, that was horrible. Hey, why don't you give me yours? Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I don't think I could do much better. But that was pretty bad. Well, I could do a lot worse. It was pretty I don't bad know. There. Anyway, I don't know if you could do much worse. Uh, that was pretty bad. Maybe I can't. I don't know. <laughs> Give me a couple oh of drinks. God. I'll do all kinds of shit. Uh, my British accent gets better if the more drunk the I am. Because I get into the cockney, mate. Let's play a game. I challenge you to a game of knots <laughs> and crosses. Yeah, yeah, but yeah I, I, I can't do British. I can't do any accent, man. Oh, my God. That was funny, though, bro. Uh, uh, that was good. I don't see any ratings there from the British guys on a scale of 1 to 10. You guys, give me some numbers here. Everyone's just laughing at you on the chat. No one's even giving you a rating. Uh, well, you know, I don't rate too high. I'm not exactly the pound-for-pound pound fake accent guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, no. Don't, don't do a pay-per-view with the friend, accents, uh, bro. Mario It'll tank. No, uh, but I tell you what, I sure would like to call the fights. You know, I get kind of sick of these guys talking about the fight that's supposed to happen instead of the one that actually is. Yeah, that's a good point, brother. That's a good point. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, let's see that uh, Joe Smith Jr., he got his jaw fixed now, got that dental problem worked out. So, uh, you know, he's going to beat the dog crap out of, uh, you know, uh, 
Well, the Russian guy, the, the Russian, Maxim Vlasov. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I th- I, I favor him. Uh, oh, Molly Wap on the chat gives you a 10 out of 10 for your accent, bro. You crushed it. There you go. <clears throat> oh, there you go. Well, uh, they must uh, be from uh, Hastings or something. But uh, <laughs> yeah, when Joe's done with him, uh, he's going to be not so mad, Max, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> he's going to be sad, Max. Well, thanks. Mike, I uh, hope you have a good holiday. I'm sure there's going to be one coming up sometime soon. <laughs> so, uh, you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, you too, brother. Uh, thanks for calling in, man. Call back anytime. Okay. Uh, oh, betcha. Yeah, you betcha. There he goes, guys. Midwest Ceylon. Oh, man, we're going to have to get a soundbite of that British accent and uh, just play that. I'm going to have to pl- uh, play that on my little sound clips here. Uh, man, that was great. I don't know if you guys can hear my. Uh, can you guys hear my Jim Lampley bang bang? Here we go. Ah, <clears throat> oh, that was fun. All right, guys, no more calls. Show is wrapping up. Let's get that outro music going. Yeah, yeah. So again, we're gonna work on the video. All right, we got some uh, some new stuff coming that we've invested in. We're gonna test all that, and hopefully, that will provide the solutions we need to do uh, video on the show as well as audio calls with you guys. Thank you so much, everyone. Hopefully you got a good laugh out of that. And uh, we'll do it again next Monday. Oh, happy Valentine's Day to all you lovers out there. Fellas, take care of your lady on this holiday, all right? Take care of your mothers, too. This is an important holiday for them. Let them know that you love them, too. All right, guys. I love you guys. I'll see you at the fights. <laughs>